there, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the Hybrid Geek Podcast, episode number 89 with Sharon Butler. So this is another bonus episode, uh, keeping with our uh, pretty strong streak here of weekly episodes, uh, which will continue into the end of June. Uh, so really appreciate uh, Sharon and her team reaching out to uh, uh, coordinate this episode to talk about a timely topic about supporting uh, international students. So definitely was very enlightening for me, uh, an area that I don't have a lot of exposure to. So I'm uh, glad we could give some space to it here uh, on the podcast. Uh, but also, uh, uh, just as I was listening back, uh, just because I'm kind of self-conscious about it, uh, I think uh, everything sounds good in this episode. My audio is a little off, but uh, still kind of... Uh, uh, adjusting to having a newborn and uh, still recording some of these episodes and uh, kind of uh, fine-tuning my setup and uh, everything. So I certainly appreciate your patience. Uh, my audio does get a little bit uh, wonky at times, but uh, again, it's a super great episode. Uh, uh, Sharon's audio uh, sounds good and everything, so I didn't want to you know, delay this or uh, do anything like that. But uh, you know, as always, uh, just appreciate you so much for listening and uh, super excited for you to check out this episode number 89 with Sharon Butler. Yeah, we will uh, go ahead and get started. Uh, we'll start off as we always do. Uh, if you want to give a brief intro of yourself, uh, Sharon, and uh, kind of a Cliff Notes version of your professional journey and how you got to be where you work today. So I am Sharon Butler, obviously. <laughs> I am the Executive Vice President of Education at Flywire. And my journey, just to kind of give you the footnotes, is that I've always really been in a client, either in a client-facing or leading client-facing sales and relationship management teams. Um, earlier in my career, I was, oh, I've always, in, earlier in my career, been with big organizations. I was in pharma, and then I went into communication, so big type of companies. And then um, at some point in my career, I thought, and it was just when I was having my um, my first child, uh, I feel like I, it was time for me to kind of take a deep breath and say, what do I want to do? And uh, I decided that I wanted to kind of just start to look around and say, you know, I really like this leadership client facing stuff, but um, the communications business, it was really becoming sort of a commodity. And, and you know, it was just a lot of things that you had to manage people, different verticals. And then in my search, I came across higher education and I thought to myself, well, this is interesting. And long story short, I uh, started to work with a company called Tuition Management Systems and uh, having that ability to stay very focused to a vertical um, would just seem super refreshing to me. So I, I realized very quickly that I love higher ed and uh, I started working there. And um, basically, uh, as a regional director and traveling about talking to um, lots of universities and colleges in the Northeast, really trying to consult with them and, and help them with their tuition receivables, figuring out ways to help them do more with less. And that whole consulting piece, uh, it was just super rewarding because I felt like I could actually focus and understand the nuances of their business and, you know, easily collaborate and, and, and solution and figure some things out. So as I was doing that, I was got contacted by an internet, a, a gentleman named Iker Marcade. Uh, he was a student at MIT Sloan School of Business. He was an international student and he was uh, wanted to talk to me because he had heard that I had a really good reputation in the education business. 
And uh, MIT had recommended that I speak to him because he was looking for someone that understood this side of the business of higher education, sort of navigating the business offices and financial services um, pieces of it. So I met with him. It's such a crazy thing when I think about it now. And uh, he told me about his really bad payment experience. So at this point, I am working for this company. I am actually going in and consulting and uh, talking about these universities outsourcing their tuition receivables so that we could help kind of take that workload off them and give their students a better payment experience, right? And um, in that process, uh, the international student population was growing relatively quickly, and yet we weren't solutioning for them as a, as a payer or a consumer. It wasn't even something I was thinking about, quite honestly, when I, when I looked back at that. So when Iker called me, and as an international student, he told me that he um, wired $50,000 to MIT um, for his tuition, and he he said it went missing. He used to say it got lost in the ocean. And it, it was quite shocking to me. So I was intrigued and I met with him and we talked about the fact that we, he took me through his process of paying, you know, MIT had given him some banking wire information and he sent the money um, and it just went missing because of the way the systems were. Well, I, I listened and I went off and I started talking to my existing clients asking and consulting a little bit more about this this, this student profile, uh, an international student, when it comes for them to pay, you know, what are their options? And I just realized it was so disconnected and uh, there was no, you know, automation to it. It was a bad experience for the families. It was really a lot of work for the schools. And I could see crystal clear that there was a problem there. So I left tuition management systems and went to start Flywire with Iker. And, uh, and, you know, we started with um, some seed money from some of the fintech, uh, like Boston Seed in Boston. And um, we just decided to, like, I would take the school side of the business. You know, he was, uh, he's, he still is brilliant. <laughs> he would focus on, like, the consumer experience and how we could improve that process. And, uh, and then we just started this whole thing together. So that's how I that's uh, in a nutshell how I ended up at Flywire, how I ended up starting this company. And, and then, you know, today we are leading provider of cross-border payments where, you know, we're based, uh, I'm based here in the U.S., but I lead teams in offices, over 12 offices around the world. So it's amazing, like in the last 10 years, how quickly we've grown. Very cool. Um, yeah, and really interesting. I mean, certainly an area where I have a little bit of uh, kind of uh, ignorance. So I'm really excited to kind of explore it a little bit more. Um, so I guess then like, how would you, you know, you kind of gave like the context of how uh, Flywire came to be, which I really appreciate. So like, how yeah. would you kind of summarize like what exactly Flywire does? And then, um, you know, like the type of higher ed clients you have. And then I guess to kind of just like, sandwich it all together like you know in terms of that service that flywire provides like what do you enjoy most about this work like it's been a kind of a world that you've been a part of for quite some time so like what is it like in general mm -hmm. or you know uh, perhaps more specifically at flywire that you enjoy most about uh, doing this type of work yeah it's interesting when i tell when i talk about my my who sharon butler is and my journey you know a good 10 years of this now has been starting this company and growing it so it blends into really my bio because the bulk of my experience has really been building something from nothing. And um, I think that's, that's been the biggest challenge and also the greatest uh, experience of my life, really, honestly. 
Um, so what does Flywire do now? So we started off where we focused um, looking at this bad payment experience micro, and we figured out a way to provide an excellent payment experience for international payers, giving them that ability to pay in their home country, just like they were buying anything else and um, helping on the school side, give them an automated process of a way to uh, reconcile all their payments. So taking workload off them and now providing a great uh, payment experience for the students. And where we've evolved as a company is we're, you know, we're considered a high growth vertical payments company. Uh, and we work with organizations worldwide. And we like to say that we deliver on our clients, their customers' most important moments, right? So in, in education, it's uh, their, the client's most important moments is the student's experience to want to go study in education. We've now opened up our journey into healthcare, um, and we're also doing some travel now too. So we're vertically focused. Um, the majority of our business is in education, and um, you know we've expanded over the years. So in education specifically, um, we help the ins institutions really reduce the complexity and all the stress uh, involved in receiving and reconciling education payments from students worldwide. You might not think that there's a lot of stress in that, but there really can be. And to date, we have over 2,000 uh, education clients, and we're serving over 1.6 million students. So essentially what we have is we built this global collection network, right? That's at the heart of what Flywire does. And that is wherever you are in the world, when it comes time to pay, we want to provide the easiest, most identifiable, you know, localized language, the, you know, the whole nine yards there to that family to reduce the friction of making a payment. So that's what that global collection network does. We also support it with a multilingual customer service. So that all exists. And then on top of that, the way we go to market is we're not just a payments company. You know, we're vertically specific in the fact that we built a software layer that sits on top of that global collection network that allows us the solution for that succinct vertical. So for me, leading this global education team, you know, I think the best thing about Flywire is that when I, we go in to talk to universities, we can listen to the challenges that they have. And they're mostly sort of operational. They're mostly, you know, some old manual process or some old bloated technology that they've had to use. Uh, as this, as it relates to, let me just be clear on that tuition management receivable functionality that happens. And then we can use our technology and help improve their operations while also giving uh, a better experience to the families and students that they serve. So that's essentially what we do. And, and we've evolved over the last few years. We've done such a good job of serving the international student population and giving them transparency, saving them money. Um, uh, supporting them along the way that many of our institutions have said, hey, can you do everything? Can you help, you know, our domestic students too? Now, typically there's already been technology there. I used to work for a company that did that. But, you know, they, it was just clear that why blur the lines? Like over the years, last 10 years, like we came to market to solve this gap of a problem, which was, hey, there's, a, there's an international student family that wants to pay. And nobody's really thinking we spend millions of dollars recruiting them 
And then when it's time to pay, we make it virtually impossible or and very unpleasant, right? So we, we solved all that hard stuff. And now we've gotten to a point where, hey, why silo this? Why don't we just offer a, a great frictionless payment experience to all students? And that's really kind of where we journeyed. And um, I think the thing you said is, um, I think the question was like, what do you love about this? I absolutely positively, well, number one, I love higher education. Um, I feel like it's one of the neatest environments where there's not a lot of competition, right? I mean, essentially they're competing, I suppose, for students. But when it comes to the actual people in the organizations, they're super collaborative with each other and helpful. And so when I do my Flywire advisory boards or I talk to one university or another, they're all looking to solve a lot of the same problems. And um, and so we go in and we really listen and we we leverage, you know, our ability to innovate to help them. And, and that's the thing I love the most. Yeah. And I hear that often um, from folks, certainly, because oftentimes like they've come up through maybe um, higher ed and that's something that they've enjoyed about that. And still when they start to work with colleges at a, a larger scale, like it's still just that collegial collaborative uh, uh, atmosphere is always mm-hmm. very much uh, appreciated versus like other environments that may be more cold or cutthroat or something like that. But <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, and just that idea too, of like, I mean, in so many ways, I mean, it's been, you know, and, and it, kind of mirrors of, I think, something that people kind of accept more readily of like, you know, cities and governments and that sort of thing, like they're going to contract out to do a lot of work and the colleges are kind of like little cities. And, you know, in so many ways, there's, you know, these different tools and platforms and organizations that uh, work to augment the work that, uh, you know, colleges do every day. And like you said, I mean, that's exactly where my head was going was like, you know, the idea of like (laughs) this, you know, uh, tuition payment platform and, you know, how that integrates, uh, with the institution, but also like, you know, you have like an international student pay who a lot of institutions, you know, are readily trying to recruit those students. They're like, okay, you know, I've committed. I'm so excited to start at institution, you know, X, whatever. And they're about to try to make the payment, which they're willing to give, you know, they've kind of planned all for that. And yeah, like something crashes, something gets quote unquote lost, you know, like, and just that idea of that being such a kind of sucker punch, like right in the gut for somebody who's like, wow, okay, well, you know, because like yeah it should like you said like you know the friction and stuff like there should be none like it should just be smooth and really just trying to be you know really thoughtful to provide that kind of uh experience because it's one of those things in in so many parts of our life where like you shouldn't have to think about it or you don't even notice it if it's working well you know like Mm -hmm. then i'd be oh my god Mm -hmm. that was such a great like payment system you know like they're not maybe like thinking in that way it's like you don't even have to think about it it was that easy like it just was like you know uh because i think because i love like movies and tv there's so many things with like you know when you're producing video it's like (laughs) it should be so good you don't even notice it like it should just be so like (laughs) seamless in terms of the editing and the music or whatever you know like the sound editing like but yeah so um, you know, they kind of segues because again, like that idea of um, you know, international student recruitment in particular, like that's something that's just a really mm-hmm. timely topic right now. There's been so many disruptions, right. and obviously, like you're kind of playing into the portion of you know they've committed to an institution and are making uh, tuition and payments and those sort of things. So I guess like if you can give kind of like a super brief primer, as much as you know, kind of your point mm-hmm. of view of like you know, hired institutions or recruiting these international students, how has that worked? traditionally and you know um i don't know i guess like uh you can kind of just get ahead and sort of like how the status quo has started to change we can kind of you know marry those two things together like where were we and where are we now like and what's that kind of change been 
where we are now. So as it relates to recruitment, well, number one, in general, um, so much change in higher ed that they're making decisions by the minute now, which is very different, right? As it relates to higher education, usually things are slower, a little more bureaucratic in nature, but it's for the first time I'm really seeing um, institutions figure out like, hey, what do we need to do different and be more student first in nature rather than this is how we do it. So I think that's the overarching thing that I'm seeing. And then as it relates to international student recruitment, uh, the traditional, I mean, this has been impacted massively. And so traditionally, you know, universities, if I, so, so I serve a, I have a global footprint. I have teams and all, all over the place outside of the U S the international student recruitment has really been super, uh, connected with the utilization of, uh, international education agencies. So they are, they are organizations that market in country to international students and really do all that handholding and help to help them identify where they might want to go and give that peace of mind to the parents to, you know, help them in that journey. And that really was a prominent way for, it still is for students to be recruited in those countries. In the U.S., it's been uh, it's been different in the sense that that hasn't they haven't been a massive uh, stakeholder, uh, and I see that changing. Right, so typically in the U.S. you have um, international recruitment teams. They'll go in markets. They'll go to a lot of those, you know, big student. Um, you know, they set up a table, and lots of students come through, and they do recruitment that way. And they might work with consultants in market, or they connect with these new organizations that establish foundation programs and things like that. But right now, there's a lot of concern for leveraging those ways to recruit students. So what you see, um, and I've actually done a few webinars in this past, is, is that schools are, are figuring out, hey, what do we need to know about working with international education agencies? Um, like, how do we navigate that? And, and how can we help uh, reach out to this third party to start to recruit students. So that's been, a, I, I think, one of the bigger changes. In fact, we've um, recently uh, built some technology um, to help with that. So I think the big concern over the years with regards to agents, using agents in the U.S., um, is sort of been like, oh, agents, maybe they're not good. They, they take advantage of students when, in fact, there's a lot of good ones out there, right? It's, um, and But the big concern would be having the agents get in the money flow. So for us, um, we've been trying to provide some content around who they are, how do they help? And then also within our platform, because we're moving money is how do we, uh, how do we facilitate the movement of money from a student that's working with an agent, right? So make sure that it's, everything is compliant and that sort of thing. So I feel like um, from, from, from what the conversations I'm in, um, a lot of the universities are trying to figure out how many things. Number one is how do we continue to be able to recruit students? I think that's one. I think the other one is how do we diversify our international student population? You see all the political um, challenges around China and what's going to happen with that population. It's a lot of universities and schools exposed. You know, if something were to happen for their ability to travel here, so you see them wanting to now look at new markets like Vietnam and Africa and India and things like that. 
um, and try to increase and, and not be so dependent on one country. I see that happening wow. a lot as well. Yeah. And I guess, yeah, so, I mean, there's obviously like travel restrictions that are preventing people from doing those in-person events that they're doing them, you know, uh, in the respective yeah. countries. And then, yeah, I mean, just like, uh, I know generally like restrictions on, you know, visas or different things. Like there's just, or, I don't know, as much as like restrictions, oh, yeah. I think sometimes like just getting harder to, to get them or something like it's just getting kind of bogged down. So mm. yeah, it's interesting to see how, um, yeah, I'm sure that that's kind of a one thing is like, yeah, maybe we like try to diversify the, the countries because maybe it's like, well, we always get a lot of great students from a particular country. So they've like leaned into that a little bit more. And it's like, mm. well, let's not put all our eggs in one basket kind of thing. So yeah, it's interesting. Yes, yes. And I think the other thing too is that um, right, right now, when you talk to the International Recruitment Office too, um, there's a, a map. I'll probably I can I can share a link, mm -hmm. you know, after like it, it's by state and what each university is planning to do for the fall. So that impacts it as well, right? So if a student is not able to travel here, and that's one of the reasons why we have a petition we can talk about later, if they can't get their visa interviews, they won't be able to travel. Then what? Is, what is Plan B? Or is there an in between plan? What if they the the visa offices finally do open and then they can come. So you, these universities aren't just planning for like, is it, are the student international students coming or are they not? It's like, well, what if they can't come? Can we still facilitate that education that they started or want to start? And number two is, or, and then if, if that starts that way, what happens when they can travel? So it's like planning for like A, B, C, D. It's a, it's a mm -hmm. ton of work um, with things changing by the hour, you know, by yeah. the day. Um, yeah, that's a really good point. Um, well, I guess then kind of just the, I think you've mentioned a lot of this, but like, you know, in terms of like the support that you're giving, uh, during this time to help with, you know, that aspect of things is like, yeah, like trying to even like help, uh, reassure an international student to even get to the point to be making, you know, a tuition payment through your platform mm -hmm. and, you know, uh, those sort of things. So I'm curious, like, you know, with these type of like issues or thinking through all these kind of, uh, divergent, uh, kind of strains of like, well, if this, then that, and that sort of thing, like, I don't know if you're kind of finding yourself in kind of a, you know, thought partner role with institutional partners and those sort of things, like anything else, I guess, that you're trying to do. Because I think one thing, you know, um, we'll give a moment to right after this, but like talking about that petition and stuff like that, like, you know, like trying to do some advocacy and that sort of thing. So anything else that you're doing to, you mm -hmm. know, um, uh, help with, you know, your institution partners uh, during this time? Yeah. So what, so we are doing, uh, we're, you know, we're very plugged into um, the needs of our, our universities, our clients, we work with even K through 12, but um, we um, in, in higher education, um, we're, we're investing a lot additional R and D um, really to our core payment platform. And we're really trying to figure out like, what else do they need? One of the biggest, most recent requests has been, you know, typically an international student will pay that big lump sum payment. And now, like, and I've never really seen this before, with the idea of offering international families payment plans, right? So that maybe they can start to like make a commitment, make pay some money, and then break it into some installments. So that by the time they come, they have it paid. Because we're talking about this pandemic not just affecting like where they come or not. Because a lot of them have committed to saying we're we're okay with starting online. Um, I know in China, a gap year is just unheard of, right? So. Um, it's like they'll do that, and um, and so it's it's about you know working with the universities to offer things like 
payment plans, uh, supporting them with our around-the-clock customer support, uh, um, also um, helping them address factors like the visa processing, um, you know, and, and, and making the education more affordable with the payment plan functionality. So it's not, it's very difficult, obviously, for international students to get loans. So this is more around like offering them just another financial vehicle to maybe float their money a little bit, um, help the school start to see the cash flow and the commitment and, you know, just helping them to deal with that new normal that they're dealing with right now. The, on, on the, on the petition side. So the other thing we're doing is, is that we've recently launched our save our overseas studies petition. And the reason we've done that is that in all the dialogue that my, myself and my team are having and what you see out there in the market as it relates to COVID, we really just noticed a glaring omission from the conversation. It really is the international students. And we, we're trying to create the awareness of the huge cultural and acad- not just cultural, academic, financial, you know, impact they have to the universities. Um, they are response, they bring over 41 billion to the U.S. economy and 450,000 U.S. jobs. And then many of the international graduate students, you know, they focus on the medical research and they're dedicated to researching even COVID, for instance. So, you know, we're just trying to bring as much awareness to their importance. And one of the things that's really kind of getting in the way right now is that the visa offices in countries remain closed. And, um, and so it just creates this, if those, if those don't open, then the students obviously can't get their visas to be able to um, study uh, travel and study in the US. So this petition that we have um, is it just explicitly explicitly asks um, for federal agencies to recognize and we're not asking for that we're just saying recognize the international students and create clear guidelines to get visas into their hands for the fall semester and um, you just there's no communication on when or what anybody's thinking about so we just thought that if we put together this petition and we got you know with the help of some you know our our clients. Um, just to kind of get that recognition to make sure there's an awareness to the immense value that they, I mean, what they mean to the U.S., what they mean to jobs and and just get someone to look at it. Yeah. Well, because it's, it's just fascinating because like, it seems as though we're struggling so much to even like figure out how campuses are going to operate for domestic on-ground students and like, you know, kind of doing maybe like some flexible, like online and on ground and, you know, uh, that sort of thing. So then it's like, yeah, there's still all these international students who obviously like institutions love to have, and, you know, they add so much to the university community and for research and like all those sort of things and doing jobs on campus and, you know, providing like pipelines for really great talent for uh, companies here in the U.S. and stuff as well. So, you know, there's just a laundry list of uh, reasons why certainly uh, this petition, which we'll you know, link out to in the uh, show notes, like why this is so important to make sure that there's some guidelines and sort of, uh, you know, advice as to, you know, in anticipation of the fall, the soonest of just like, how are we going to, you know, manage this or just provide some reassurances of this is being worked on and, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, it's not even like, and we don't, I mean, it's, we don't want, obviously no one wants anybody to travel or open the universities until it's safe. But I think it's just creating sort of like, Hey, here's another group that we need to be consider to consider because when you talk to the families and country, they just feel like they don't, well, 
they've really, there's not a lot of communication on even expectations, which in truth, it's still a game time decision for many universities anyway. So there is a lot of cloudiness around all of it. And to your point, when I talk to universities, the level of planning that has to happen to open and all the ideas of smaller classes in big rooms and putting people in individual uh, uh, dormitories or creating little family units. Um, outlight, I mean, every piece of the campus has to sort of be thought about. So tremendous pressure on the organization itself. So for our part, it's it's just, there's a lot of things that universities have to consider. And um, we just we just wanted to try to figure out like a way to create some more awareness to the international student. Yeah, and I love the uh, clever acronym, the uh, SOS position there. Because um, yeah, I mean, just like trying to get this on people's radar and just, I mean, that's just like a kind of clever way to do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really important topic. I think that this is something um, that maybe is just, you know, this conversation, if it's happening in sort of the greater hired community um, and sort of the zeitgeist, like seems to be kind of sequestered off somewhere. Like I, I feel somewhat plugged in and I'm not seeing a lot of it. Um, Cause again, it's still people just kind of trying yeah. to figure out like, what does the fall term look like for your like, yeah, kind of traditional, you know, and again, like you use air quotes here, like the traditional on ground college student and that sort of thing. But there's obviously so much more. Um, and hopefully, uh, you know, getting this on people's radar and kind of thinking through, okay, can we try to like, get some of this stuff figured out simultaneously versus like 100% of our focus is on this one, certainly very important and large aspect of, yeah. you know, what the college experience is going to look like in the fall. Um, but then it's like, there's also a lot of other things I think is worthwhile to put some uh, energy and effort into to, um, yeah, just kind of sign, sign on to thing, you know, like kind of add yeah. their voice to the collective yeah. voice to kind of really <laughs> be trying to get some, you know, guidance and support or what, you know, like it, it something like trying to just, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, get things going in a better direction. Yes, because we work, I mean, I think it's like everybody has their perspective too. And I think the place where we're focused education, you know, all, all students, but the international student is, um, I think it's the impact um, to education itself. You know, the reason why the international student population grew so quickly um, is be, not just because of diversity, but also they, they pay in full, right? There's really no discounting for them. There's no financial aid, really. So these universities have been really built on that that revenue stream as well. So that's that's there's a potential devastating impact to higher ed in general if we don't keep some focus to this, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so then kind of just as we we're starting to kind of wind down, like, you know, with all that we've covered and just kind of, uh, you know, highlighted what's going on right now, what advice would you give kind of to your typical hired professional, um, during this moment of just anything that could help make sure that they're, uh, keeping well informed or, um, uh, kind of doing the right thing to do right by their international students. So, um, yeah, any advice that you would give? We're actually, it's interesting. We're going to plan. Um, we are going to be running a, a webinar um, with the PDG group, professional development group in higher ed. And it's the really around the impact of COVID. And, and for the first time, we've got the international student office arm and the uh, business office, the financial office together. And what I've noticed over the years is they've kind of operated very separately. And it just kind of occurred to me in these discussions when the bursars or financial services people are saying, wow, that's really good to know. Like, I didn't realize that. So 
even as we start to progress forward, you'll there'll be nuances to different countries around the world on what their restrictions are, or can someone actually physically get to a bank? Um, is uh, someone mentioned there was a student that was who went back to China that was uh, had to spend fourteen days in a hotel before they could get back out into you know and back into just getting home, and so this person was very concerned because they couldn't pay right? They had something due. So she got involved and called the business office. But it's just, just a really, it's an example of sort of this, the impact of what's happening globally. This pandemic is not just here in the US, it's everywhere. It's kind of mind blowing to think like, I'm on the phone every day with someone from China or Singapore, you know, or Spain, and we're all in our homes, like we're all in the same boat. And so no, and then we'll all emerge out of this at different phases. So I think my advice, you know, particularly to the to the student finance office, and that's really where we spend a lot of time is, you know, get connected with your international student office, understand sort of what's happening in the different parts of the world. And I think you have to be extremely flexible um, and open minded and, and offer, you know, the flexibility around payments and things like that, because it's just a very different time now. Yeah. Um, and I think I keep saying this when we talk about stuff like this, it's just like, yeah, giving, you know, your colleagues and, you know, incoming students and that sort of thing, just like give them some grace, be patient, like be supportive, empathetic and that sort of thing. Like, <laughs> you know, I think we all need a little bit of that right now. This is, we're trying to juggle a lot of just oh, like yeah. emotions <laughs> and more obligations than we anticipated and those sort of things. So, um, so, so, so true. <laughs> um, and I guess I'm curious, anything that you'd want to recommend, um, certainly it could be resources from uh, your team or um, uh, just anything else in terms of like stuff that's been uh, relevant or maybe just good escapes, uh, stuff that you're reading, watching, listening to that you'd want to recommend that we could uh, include in the show notes. Oh, interesting. Uh, well, I, I think if it's, if it's personal, um, I was thinking about how different my life has become. I think we're all like that. And you know, I've been really consumed with um, work. I think we all have. Do, do you feel like you work more now than you ever did because you're it's sort of around the clock at home? Yeah. I mean, I, I work remotely anyway, so it's like there's always that temptation or always just like, oh, let me peek in really quick or whatever. And it's like now everybody's doing that. So, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, that much easier because like, oh, I got another email. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I love, um, so I have two teenage boys and, um, you know, and I, I've also been a global traveler, but what I'm trying so hard to do, and I really feel like the last 10 years growing a business, it seems like my mind is always somewhere. Right. And I'm trying so hard to be present right now. You know, I'm taking, like when I take breaks, I'll take hikes. We have a new puppy, you know, when with, when I'm with my kids, it's like being in the moment, like stay out of the past and stay out of the future. And so I've been, I've actually been, it's not reading it, I'm doing Audible, but I've been listening to The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle. It's sort of like, it's taken me a little bit to, you know, it's definitely not an easy concept, but sort of like working on really hard to be present. And um, I know you have a new child too, and I just feel like um, there's so many times that we're plugged into a thousand different things or worrying about so many other things that it's, uh, we miss some moments now. And so I'm really working hard on that for myself. So if anybody's interested in kind of working on that, as far as music goes, um, typically I don't like my teenagers <laughs> music, um, but I'm loving this new Harry Styles album. 
the, the what is it the the fine line album and uh it's really great and then there's uh, another artist Louis Capaldi um it's he's really great too so I find myself trying really hard to like take a break from work try to be as present as I can in my life outside of this you know running this business and uh listening to good music I mean it's just uh it sounds like easy but Sometimes it's not that easy, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, and interestingly enough, yeah, like as much as I listen to podcasts, I'm uh, also a recent convert to audiobooks because, yeah, like I'm going to take my dog out or like, you know, just going to be bopping around. I can just like throw it on, listen to a couple chapters and all that because I'm usually awful about reading books. Um like just being able to like sit down and kind of in that sense of like be present, just be like, I am here with this book right now. I'm like, you know, my brain is like going warp speed and I'm like, I can't just like sit and read, but like, you know, bite-sized chunks of an audiobook. It's like perfect. Um, yes, so. exactly. I can't even go to sleep with it. So I do like podcasts as well. And there's no question about that. I like that. How mm. I built this. That's uh, I think an NPR program. That was pretty neat. Um, so uh, and then, you know, if there's anything as it relates to education, I think Inside Higher Ed is a great, um, um, I, I like look at that, the Pi News. Um, I, I know the woman that started that a long time ago in the UK kind of started a business the same. They're plugged into those international, um, you know, stories and things that's happening there. And then NASA, National Association for Foreign Student, I don't think they're like a huge uh, international organization and that's all they, 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 they focus on everything, all of the issues. So those are the big things that are important to be plugged in as it relates to international students and our petition. You know, if we can get some support on that, that would be great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> because, yeah, I think it's like as much as the news is overwhelming right now, it's like keep your eye on it. Like just be a kind of aware of what's going on. You do not be to like be a wash and sort of like drowning yourself in the fire hose of, uh, you know, the news, but certainly like try to have, have that good balance of like, you know, keeping aware of what's going on, but also like, yeah, be present, take time, you know, to be with uh, yeah. your family or just like, you know, relax and that sort of thing. And, yeah, I mean, I guess in terms of uh, don't watch the news, maybe yeah. don't watch the news so much. <laughs> yeah, no, I think yeah, like inside higher ed, you know, those it's just like you know, skim, see what kind of is you know, like the headlines, you know, maybe read a couple of things really quick because you know, like usually their stuff's not terribly long or like, uh, yeah, I know for me, like no, you know, cool. listening to the daily when like or just like a twenty minute podcast of just like something that's going on right yeah. now, like that's usually enough. Um, but. Uh, Yes. And I think too, like it kind of our, I like our always ending on our final question here, like optimistically looking towards the future. Absolutely. One of the things like, you know, making sure, um, you know, signing the petition to make sure that we're getting towards uh, kind of the future state in the fall and beyond to make sure that, you know, all these incoming uh, international students are having the best experience uh, possible. So, so we'll give another uh, tip of the hat to it uh, as we're closing out here, but anything else just sort of like, you know, maybe looking for the silver linings or just sort of like what you're hoping for, um, you know, that comes out of this uh, unique experience that we're all going through, uh, you know, the entirety of the world. Uh, you know, what are you looking forward to, you know, uh, in your job, in life, uh, you know, or in the world? So any or all of those categories, just kind of ending everything on an optimistic note. So I, I love Flywire. We call ourselves Flymates. I don't know if I mentioned that. And I, I'm looking forward to being able to see them in person. And, and because they're friends and, fa you know, they feel like family to me as well. So I can't wait to the day where we can just kind of come together. I, I, and I have teams globally. It'll be nice to travel at some point. 
Um, I think in the, but for the now, um, I have a vacation at the end of the month. And we go, I'm going to um, Mother's Vineyard. It's, uh, it's off the coast of Cape Cod. And I do this every year. And I, I'm so happy that I'm not a, I don't have to change it. It'll be very different. Obviously, there's not going to be a lot open there, but it's kind of getting away with the family, playing yard games, keeping it simple. Uh, and I think it just kind of trying to find joy in some of those those things with all of this other, you know, with the, the things that are happening in this world. Um, I think it's sometimes good to just kind of stay back and get back to, to basics. So that's what I'm looking forward to. Absolutely. Um, cause yeah, it's like, I, I would still advocate, even though I think it feels like, you know, since we're all at home most of the time, it's like, why would I take a vacation? I'm just here. Cause you know, I think the perception <laughs> is like, you're going somewhere, but it's like, yeah, but like give yourself permission to like, literally do not touch work for like a week or something. Even if you're like not going anywhere, which I presume a lot of people wouldn't, if they took time off, you know, you, you are starting to be a little bit more able to, even though like you said, it's like, you know, you're not maybe going to have the experience that you've had in the past, but it's like, yeah, you could still just be lazy and that's great. You know, that's great. That's like a good <laughs> like, use yeah. of the time to just sort of like, I don't have to wake up at any time, you know, like, and again, that's presuming maybe if you don't have like, again, like me, like an infant or something like that, but it's also just like, okay, take care of the baby. Then it's just like, okay, what do I want to do for the rest of my day? You know, like, I don't have to like, oh, like rush to get the baby all settled. And I got to go into work and I got to, you know, be in meetings all day and then I got to make dinner. And, you know, it's just like, you kind of take one huge chunk of the equation out. And I know that's been helpful for me to just sort of, uh, you know, take the time as I can to, you know, uh, slow down a bit and be a little bit lazier. So, um, no question. Uh, yeah. Um, I think one of the things too, is that you just mentioned it and we're, we've actually have given everybody a digital disconnect day at Flywire. It's like, just, you have to take a day, like we're giving it to them and you just have to tell us like, what did you do? And it can't have anything to do with work or being on any device of any sort. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be the idea of like, I read a book or yeah, like, you know, if you go up to Martha Vineyard, it's like, I just like hung out on my patio and like, you know, watched the clouds go by, had a nice drink or something, you know, like just, and that's like, awesome, perfect. That's such a good use of the time. And I had a cone of ice cream while sitting on the beach. There we go. Yep. Um, great. Well, that's yeah, good. I mean, so, you know, uh, we'll have a ways to connect with the petition, uh, you and uh, the work that Flywire is doing in the show notes and all the other stuff that we mentioned. Uh, but thank you so much, Sharon, for taking some time to hang out for the podcast here. There's a lot of great stuff, uh, good things for folks to be uh, thinking about and um, a good way for folks to take action with the petition to uh, try to help move things forward in a positive direction. So um, yeah, just thank you so much for your time and all that you shared. Oh, thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode of the Higher Ed Geek Podcast.